Hi, this is Pat from the Bridges team. Do you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs? Do you ever feel you ought to exercise but don't do it? Do you ever know the right thing to do but stop short? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you will know without a doubt that you are a citizen of the human race. We begin the new year looking into the next element in the Bridges DNA, renewal, with our eight-week series titled Life's Healing Choices. Listen in as Pastor Fred Bybee shares from Jesus' words how we can begin to shake loose from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups to live in freedom. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, well, you know, I think you're in the right place. This is a great place to be, you know, because this is a place where we've been learning all about how God can transform our lives, how God can change our brokenness into something that's whole and beautiful inside. For the last seven weeks, we've been in this series called Life's Healing Choices, and this has been a sermon series that has been based upon the principles of a, um, a sermon series that Rick Warren did called, um, called Healing Choices, and it was focusing on the Beatitudes. So we've been in Matthew chapter 5 through this process that's going on. It's also about the book that John Baker wrote, and uh, John Baker is the founder of Celebrate Recovery, and, and we have a Celebrate Recovery here at our church. We've been meeting for years, and we meet on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. in the venue number one across the way. And we always want to invite anyone who would love to join us. We'd, we'd love to have you there. Come be with us. Through this series, many of you have been attending small groups that have been going through the DVD series that correlates with it. And you guys have been reading the book as well, of uh, the small group material. And I got to tell you, I've, I've heard some exciting stories as people's lives have been changing as they've been making these healing choices uh, in the process of it. Now, all of our sermons in this series have sought to emphasize the principles that have been found in this um, Life's Healing Choices material, while each pastor utilizing his own scripture passage, illustrations, life experiences, and structure. The eight healing choices uh, that coincide with the Beatitudes start with choice number one. Do you remember it? The reality choice where we admitted that we had a need, and then after that, we went on to choice number two, the hope choice. We needed to get help. Blessed are those who mourn. The third week, we made the commitment choice that we were going to let go and we were going to allow uh, God to be able to, to do in our lives whatever his will was for us. And that's blessed are the meek. And then we came to week number four. And that week number four is the house cleaning choice. Coming clean. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we asked you know, the Lord to just kind of help us openly examine our life. And we began to make an inventory of the ways in which we had done things that were wrong and, and God would want to change us in some way. And, and then the next week, we literally made that decision, choice number five, the transformation choice, to allow God to, to make the choices that he wanted to make voluntarily within our life. Week number six, last week, we looked at the relationship choice. This was all about repairing relationships where, you know, people had hurt us in our life or we had hurt other people. We were willing to make amends and we were willing to forgive other people the focus of it. Actually, we're in week number seven, but they've asked me to preach two sermons this morning. Uh, Number seven, choice seven, and choice number eight. So we've locked the doors in the back. We're going to be together for a while. 
I'm looking forward to it. Um, Seriously, we're going to be focusing most of our time on choice number seven, which is the growth choice. How do I, once I've made a decision to grow and to change, how do I maintain momentum within my my life? And um, we're going to then uh, look, just kind of tag on to the very end, which is choice number eight, the sharing choice. How do I recycle the pain in my life that has been part of it? You know, growth is part of change. But have you ever tried to make a change that didn't stick? It's like, you know, making change stick is hard. We, we start all sorts of things that we never finish in life. Um, for instance, school, high school. Did you know that across the United States, there are kids between 60 and 90% of students, depending upon their location, that never finish high school? Now, I can see how it all starts out, right? The students come in the first day of kindergarten, they look up at their teacher and says, I won't be here very long, so you know, don't worry about me. We all start, right, with this great desire to finish the course, and yet 56% of college students who define a degree and pursue it graduate. Only 56%. But we don't want to pick on just the students now, do we? Now, how many of you have joined a gym in the last five years? Yeah, yeah, I know what that's like, right? You know, it's at the beginning of the year, we make these, you know, commitments, right? And we start off five days a week, we're going to the gym, and pretty soon it's three days a week, and then it's maybe one day a week, maybe one day on the weekend, and, and finally we're just paying for membership, you know? And I was thinking about weddings that I do. I've never had a couple stand before me when I'm doing the ceremony, and, and I get ready for the vows, and they say, um, I am going to commend myself to you as long as this thing works out, which I don't think it probably will. Uh, yeah, I just have never had anyone do that. You know, when we get married, we think that this thing's, you know, for life, Right? Or we create a budget because we know that we need to have control of our money. It's been out of control. And we say, we're only going to spend this much money. We're going to spend it here, here, and here. And then all of a sudden, you know, week by week, we make a decision here. We make a decision there. And pretty soon it's like, I don't even remember what a budget is anymore. Of course, my favorite, my favorite, this represents me as the health binge, you know, eating fruits and vegetables, juicing, you know, no sweets, multivitamins and health supplements, gluten-free and drinking plenty of water. And I'm doing great at it, you know, until like this one afternoon, I'm driving on the freeway and I'm tired and it's been a long day and the traffic is terrible and all of a sudden up comes this sign and it says, in and out. (laughs) And I think to myself, just this one time, Again, and again, and again, and again. And um, another area that I'm really vulnerable in is house projects. I love to do house projects. The problem is I really have a hard time finishing a project. And so I usually have like a ton of them going. I was just thinking about it the other day. It dawned on me as I opened up the, the garage door on the side of our garage. I just placed it in a few weeks back. And I opened it up, and I'm looking, and like I forgot all the plates, you know, for the doorknob and stuff like that. I still haven't finished it. It's not that we don't want to finish what we start, is it? I mean, I mean, we really do enjoy when something gets done. There's a sense of joy and pride. When I start something, I, like, I want it to be completed inside. And, you know, it's not what we start in life that defines us. It's actually what we finish in life. That's what defines us. I was out on 84, just going on the off-ramp the other day and and a, a lady's car had gotten stuck. Have you ever gotten stuck in life? You just kind of stuck right there. 
And like everyone was just passing by, so I pull my car over and I hop out and I, I start trying to push this thing. And I, I'm getting it moving and I'm moving and I'm moving because, you know, she's in a really dangerous place, right? Everyone gets upset with you if you're blocking the road on 84, especially. And a guy comes over and he joins me and we finally get able and we can push it off the road. What good would it have done if I had started pushing it and go, ah, a little bit too much work for me, don't want to injure my back, and we walk back to my car? It wouldn't have accomplished anything. When we start things, we're defined by what we finish, right? My wife and I, one of the favorite shows that we like to watch are shows that deal with renovation, house renovation, you know? So we watch the Property Brothers. Uh, we, we watch the, one of the shows about turning a house and stuff like that. But all these shows kind of have one thing in common. It's like they'll buy a house, and they have this plan that they're going to remodel it and stuff like that. But the thing they all have in common is they have no idea what's in the walls, right? And there's always some obstacles in the walls that, that mess with their plan because all of a sudden it's like, well, we didn't plan on that. You know, we're going to have to completely take out and embrace, and all your money is going to be spent here. And a lot of times the goals that we set in life don't get accomplished because we run out of resources. You ever experienced that in your life? It's like I just didn't have enough of what it took. You know, farmers are, or I should say that I was thinking about my son in this area when it comes to finishing a task. He used to work on our staff at the church I pastored in Rockford, Illinois. We had a property that had 33 acres of grass on it. And he would start on Monday morning and he would start mowing the grass on, you know, on the machine and stuff like that. And he would finish uh, on Saturday. And by the time he finished on Saturday, the grass had already grown an entire week. And he had to start the job over again. Sometimes what we find out in life is that there are forces working against us completing a task that we're wanting to complete uh, in life. You ever think about farmers and stuff like that? You know, a farmer wants to grow a crop and stuff, and so he, so he, you know, he takes the time, he cultivates the land, and, and then he has to plant the seeds, and then he's waiting for water to come and stuff like that, and he's hoping that the sun shines and stuff, and all of a sudden, fruit begins to bear up on it, right? Fruit begins to grow on it. Now, what if he never harvests it? Or what if what happens in the Central Valley happens to him, you know, where you grow all these grapes and then you get a freeze or a rain and everything mildews? You know, sometimes there are forces that are working against it. Even, even when we get the fruit to our house and put it in a bowl, there's still the potential that all that health might dissipate. You've got to have some way of protecting it because there's, there's, things that, there's forces that work against health. And, you know, sometimes I meet people, well, every day, actually, that are, are, are working on health within their life. They're trying to repair relationships. They're working on anger issues in their life, on their spending issues or addictions. And they're, and they're really, really working hard, and they're starting to make some progress, and all of a sudden they quit. And, uh, and, the, and the reason they quit, you know, is because they start feeling like they're getting better, Right? Now, I know you guys would never say that you've done that before, but, you know, we've all taken antibiotics, right? And what's the doctor tell you when you're taking antibiotics, when you're not feeling well? Do what? Finish all of them, right? Because you're going to start feeling better and all of a sudden think, oh, I don't need this stuff anymore because I'm feeling better. But then what happens as a result of that is that we have the danger of relapse in our life. Not only do we have the danger of relapse in our life, on a physical level, we have a danger in our life of relapsing on a spiritual level as well. In 2 Peter 3.18, it says, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, this word grow is, is a word that means uh, to grow continuously. It doesn't mean, I want you to grow and then, okay, you've grown enough, you're good, stop. Okay, this word means to continue to grow. But Peter warns us, in what just prior to this verse, he says, 
Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your stability. You see, because there are things that are around us, people around us, activities around us that can thwart, that can cause us to, to go downhill, to slip, right, and, and to fall. And so um, Paul points out that, um, that not only are we supposed to be careful in this particular area, it says failure of certain people, he points out, in the, in the city of Galatia. And so he said about, about these people in Galatia, he says, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, they stopped obeying the truth because there was a force that acted upon them that caused them to no longer grow. Even Jesus warns us in these words that he makes about his disciples. He says in Matthew twenty six forty one, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, the, the Christian life is often compared to a marathon race. And, and I know that if I'm, if I'm going to finish the race, I have got... I've got to, to know how to run it well. I need an example. I need someone that can help me do it. You, you need someone to go before you to help train and, and prepare for it. And uh, if you're not prepared for it, you're not going to be able to finish it. And, and that's why I think one of the most important people that we can look at is the Apostle Paul. Because he tells us in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. That's the person... I want to model my life after. That's the person who I want to say, what do I do in this situation here when I feel like giving up, right? We have a couple of ladies that are in our Bible study, and they do a lot of running. And uh, they, one of them came in late uh, last Thursday night. And I said, well, what's the story with it? She says, well, I was out running, and I got lost. <laughs> you know? I want to be with someone who knows where the finish line is. <laughs> you know? It's too easy to get lost when you're out there by yourself. And so... I want to ask the question today, uh, how did Paul do it? And he's going to give us the answer. So if you'll grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, this is going to kind of be our home base, even though we're going to bring in some different uh, passages with it. Philippians 3 through 4.1. And we're going to learn how to face and prevent the danger of relapse from destroying our story of hope and healing in our lives. That's what our goal is today. But you know, as I said just a moment ago, if you're running a race, it's really important that you know what the finish line is. And Paul is going to tell us this. Um, One of the reasons why sometimes we can lose momentum is because we choose the wrong finish line. Now, there was a time when a guy was running a race, and he he had won the race, he thought, because he thought he had crossed the line, but he hadn't crossed the line yet. He'd stopped at the wrong place. You know, if you focus on the wrong finish line, you're not going to end up where you want to end up at, right? Now, how many of you have ever gone on a diet? And yeah, I don't want to depress you this morning on it, but, you know, what happens when you go on a diet? You focus on what? All day long. It's like, it's like the afternoon, and I'm going, oh, what's for dinner? You know, it's, it's all I can think about, because I'm thinking about losing weight. I'm thinking about food is the way you lose weight. I'm thinking about food. Maybe you're struggling with anger inside, and, and, and maybe someone in your life is a real thorn, and they bother you a lot. And so you decide, God, I want you to change this area of anger in my life. I don't want to struggle with anger in my life anymore. So, so what you do is you, you, you use all of your energy to stop responding to what really bugs you. So you go, well, that bugs me. You know, I'm in my car and I'm driving. Someone cuts me off. They're not willing you know, to merge and all that kind of, That bugs me. And all of a sudden I find myself getting angry because I'm focusing on what? I'm focusing on the very thing you know, that, that triggers me in, in a sense of the word. We're focusing 
on the wrong thing. And so uh, Paul wants us to focus on the right thing. And so Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. Finally, my brothers, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. That's the focus of our life, is to rejoice in the Lord. And how do we do that? Uh, in order to rejoice in the Lord, I need to, to focus on the Lord. I need to focus on Jesus Christ. And do you know that it's interesting? That's exactly what the Bible says we're supposed to be like. It says in Romans eight twenty nine that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of God. So isn't that something we should get excited about? That should bring joy to us because we're focusing on it. In Colossians 3, 10, it says, be renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. So he tells us that we're to rejoice in the Lord. But Paul also warns us in this same verse that there's dangers. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Why would Paul talk about rejoicing in the Lord and then talk about the word safety? Because the reality is is we're vulnerable to rejoicing in the Lord. There are forces that want to work against us doing that. And so Paul uses this term safe. And it means secure from enemies and dangers against failing. And so in a sense, there's an implied danger of failing or relapsing in our lives. And so he starts, he starts to kind of point out for us the danger of relapse into self-defeating patterns. So we're going to look at four different patterns and the causes uh, this morning of relapse. And we're going to look at Paul's life specifically and how Paul was able to avoid those things from taking place within his life. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, three times it says, look out for. I think if you repeat something three times, it's, it's kind of a warning, right? That you need to work on something. And so it says here, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Well, why? Because he's identifying the three forces that will bring us down in our growth process. It'll stop us from maintaining growth within our lives. The first one is the world. You know, the world wants us to find fulfillment in it, and so it entices us. The world entices us. And then there's Satan, right? And he wants to get us pushed over into evil. So we have the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. And so he's seeking to enslave us. The world seeks to entice us. Satan seeks to enslave us. But then we've got a force working within us, and that's called our sin nature. And it's seeking to indulge us because it wants us just to give us free reign so we can act like the God we want to be. The reality is what he's going to teach us is is that there are two opposing identities. There's your old identity before you came to Christ, and there's this new identity that he's given to us. And the world is messing with your identity. Right? It's trying to steal it from you. Have you ever had your identity stolen from you? Lori and I did last week. You know, you got to fight to get your identity back. I mean, it took me hours on the telephone. Because why? Someone had called pretending that they were me, and they changed my password online. They changed my email address online. They spent all my mileage for gift cards. And it's like, I had to fight to get it back. And you know, folks... All the world is, is coming down. All these forces are coming down, and we have to fight. We have to put up this fight for our identity. So Paul mentions it this way. He says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that we are a new creation, that the old has passed away. 
the new has come. And so he writes in Philippians 3, 3, we are the real circumcision. In other words, we are a spiritual being. We are not a physical being. We are a spiritual being. We are the real circumcision. The flesh has been removed. And how do we know this? Our new identity, it says, we worship by the spirit. We glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. How do we do that? How do we keep our identity as a spiritual identity rather than a physical identity in this world? Well, Galatians gives us a little clue in chapter 5, 16, when it says, I say, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is a spiritual thing. This is not a physical thing. It's not a try harder type of thing. It's the power of God working within us. So how does Paul handle this? How how does he deal with this? Well, first of all, he deals with his old identity quite well. It's the old man. And he says in Philippians 3, 4 to 6, for this old guilty man that he used to be, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. I mean, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, I was a Pharisee, and as to zeal, I even persecuted the church, and as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But he knew that that old man of his was what? The guilty man. But there seems to be this attraction to the old man, you know? It's all the forces trying to get us to move backwards. And so he focused, he shows us how he was able to focus on the new man, Philippians 3, 7 to 9. So look in your Bibles and read this along with me. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, when we start going through this growth process and God is bringing healing and change to our lives, we're not becoming a better old man. We're becoming a new man. We're not trying to have the outside of us fix the inside of us. We're trying to allow God to have the inside of us fix the outside of us. And so Paul points out how he's able to pull this off because this is hard. This is not easy. I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul faced all the same pressures in life as a believer that we faced. He had major struggles within his Christian life. In Philippians 3, 10 to 11, he, he writes about our focus, what it needs to be. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, I'm not looking at that stuff anymore. My focus is on Jesus. I want to rejoice in him. I want Jesus Christ to become everything to me. This is my goal. Now, the reality is, as you guys know, only God could pull this off. We couldn't do this in the flesh. The Bible says, not by might, not by by power, but what? By my spirit says the Lord, right? So we all have to face this battle to maintain momentum of growth. And Peter gives us this recommendation out of chapter 5, verse 8 of the first book of Peter. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to desire. 
de- uh, devour. So what is this, what's the sign? I mean, you know, how do I know that I'm, I'm vulnerable for relapse? How do I know that I'm on the dinner menu for the devil? You know, that's kind of how I look at it a little bit. And there are these patterns, there are these patterns within our lives of relapse. And so we're going to start with these patterns that Paul talks about. And, and if we understand these, then we can avoid them, right? And we can maintain our momentum. The first one is complacency. And the reason we become complacent is we, because we become prideful, right? All of a sudden within our life, the pain level from the, from the behavior that we've had, the sin in our life, starts to become reduced as we start working in our life on getting better. And uh, all of a sudden we start believing that we can live with the remaining pain that's, that's remaining. It's not so bad anymore. And so what do we start doing? Well, we start disconnecting with the support people, the accountability people within our lives. Um, because I become satisfied somewhere, somehow with the progress that I've made. It's enough. I say, I can stop. I look backwards instead of forwards. I look at what's been done rather than what needs to be done within my life. Paul says, the way you get around this, he says, look at Philippians 3, 12 to 16. Talks about the danger of looking backwards. Not, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. The only way that I can, I can lock in and not lose ground on the progress that God has been making in my life is not to be satisfied with what I did yesterday or what I did the week before or how far I've come in my progress of healing and growth within my life. My view, according to Paul, this is what Paul did. He said, I just kept looking at what I'm supposed to be. I kept looking at the target of where I want to be at. And that way, I, I recognized the fact I couldn't stop because I wasn't there yet. One of the ways that really trips us up in our life uh, in this whole area of comparison or uh, in complacency, I should say, is comparison. You know, we look at the progress we've made, and then we look at someone else who's been struggling in that area. You go, well, look at them. I mean, I've, I'm so much farther ahead than they are. You know, I'm, in fact, I'm so much farther ahead I could take a day off, you know, because I've, I've worked so hard. But the reality is, is that that's not our goal for comparison. Jesus Christ is our goal for comparison, Right? And that always keeps us focused in the right direction. The second thing that happens when our, in our life, another pattern that develops, is what we call confusion. We try to recover by ourselves. We say things to ourselves like, well, you know, maybe I wasn't so bad after all. You know, we start developing what they call a fuzzy reality. And so what happens is we go, you know, I, I wasn't so bad. I don't really need to go to celebrate recovery. I don't even need to really be part of a small group. You know, I... I, you know, I, I actually think that I, I could do this myself. I'm good enough. But Philippians 3.17, Paul says this about the recovery process. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What he's saying is that you don't continue to maintain momentum if you walk alone. You need to walk with the crowd. Galatians 3.3 says this, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, that you're now going to be perfected by the flesh. 
Well, our, our third indicator, pattern indicator, that we are getting close to relapse or we're in the process of relapse is compromise. We revert to our own willpower. You put yourself in the old environment. You know, it's like someone who's really struggled with gambling, right? And, and it's like, okay, I've gotten to this point now. And it's like, you know, I'm really thinking I can handle this. I'm only going to Vegas because the food is so inexpensive there, right? And so, you, you know, good luck with that one, right? But, but that's the whole point is that we get ourselves back in dangerous places because we feel like somehow we can manage it. Uh, we can handle it ourselves. And uh, this is only a, a danger uh, for ourselves. It says in Philippians 3.18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. And uh, so what we find out is that there are people who start on this road to recovery, that they're trying to make healing choices, but ultimately they make a choice to allow the influences of the world to influence them rather than to make the choice to have the Holy Spirit continuum down that road. Folks, healing is always a choice that God gives us to make. It says here in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. God has given all we need, but it comes from Him. And then the fourth indicator of relapse is catastrophe. We ignore one of the choices that we should have been following. In Philippians 3, 19, it says, Choose to be their own God. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. In other words, you know what? I'm all the way back to where I started, and I'm going to be my own God. You remember the fruit, right? It kind of all the way down, right? And then what? Throw it back in the soil because it's good for nothing. We return back to that place where we're our own God. We're making our own decisions. We're satisfying our own heart type of thing. We end up right back where we started. We relapse, and it's a slippery slope. And if we don't know that relapse is a danger and that it exists, we can get caught on it very easily. It's kind of like it. you've heard the news lately about all the snow and stuff like that, the ice, the rain that's been taking place, and in some areas that they have black ice. Have anyone ever tried to drive on black ice? Yeah. Do you drive on black ice? No. No, because it, it drives you, right? You, the minute you're on it, it's like you have absolutely, you lose all control. Now, if you know it's there, you can prepare, right? You can avoid it. But if you don't know it's there, that's why Paul tells us that it's there. And he wants us to prevent relapse in our life. And so it says in Philippians 3, 20 through 4, 1, it says how, how we can stand firm. It says, brothers, join me in t- imitating me. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's kind of a prelude. So what is the example that is in Paul and the others? He says, our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. The therefore is saying what? The way that you stand firm is what? By keeping your focus, your finish line on heaven. That's where your citizenship is. You're not earthbound. You're heavenbound. You're a spiritual person. You're not an earthly person that's here. So how do I evaluate my focus? How did Paul stay on, on course? 
You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. How do I do that? Well, one of the ways you can do this is by establishing a quiet time with God. You know, in Psalm 139, David wrote this in verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Take time with God and say, God, look inside of me. Help me become aware. Well, what, what am I going to be evaluating in this process? Well, here are some things to evaluate. Listen to your body. Is, are you tense? Are you stressed out? Do you have a backache? Do you have a headache? Are you hungry and tired? Ask your body what it's doing. You know, what is going on? Secondly, um, listen to your emotions. We use this acronym called HEART. It says, am I hurting? H, E, am I exhausted? A, am I angry? R, do I have resentfulness inside me? T, am I tense right now? Another area to to evaluate is your relational area. Am I at peace with others or do I have unresolved broken relationships? Have I offended someone and I've stopped going back and asking for forgiveness? Has someone offended me and I haven't been willing to forgive them in some way, shape, or form? And finally, we're to evaluate our spiritual life. What is the basis of our spiritual life? Am I relying upon God and or, or am I relying upon my own power? Second area is that we should not only in this quiet time evaluate, but we should meditate. In Psalm 119, uh, 119 9 and 11, it says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Folks, you know, what's feeding your mind? I have a friend of mine, and she uses this statement. It's called stinking thinking. Anyone know what stinking thinking is? You ever have that pervade your mind? And you're going, that's not God's thoughts. That ain't coming from me, right? And, and, and the reality is God wants us to replace stinking thinking with the word of God within our life. We need to listen to God. We need to allow God to speak to us. And finally, we need to pray. We need to give it all to God. In Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7, it says, talk to God all the time. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, if we do this, if we follow the course, if we maintain our momentum, God's going to take the pain of our life, all the brokenness inside, and he's going to recycle it because he's going to give us a story just like Paul has a story, which Paul is using to encourage us in the pursuit of God, to help us be overcomers, to be emboldened and to never give up, to finish the race. Paul finished the race, and when I, when I look at his how he did it, it's like, I can finish it too. How do I know that I can finish it? Because in Philippians 1, 6, it says this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because the work is not ours. The work is God's. In Philippians 2, 13, it says, God is at work in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. If we don't quit, God can recycle our pain to encourage others. We call that our testimony. And we love to share it, what God has done in our life, because it helps other people to be able to receive healing from their brokenness and to finish the race. You know what? I don't know. I don't care what it takes to finish the race. 
I don't care how slow you're moving. The key thing is, is that we finish, right? That's the key. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.